as Jews, we were raised to question authority and just question everything. Totally. And what I think is so un-Jewish to me is like unquestioningly supporting an authority. I think that us having this discussion and asking a lot of questions is like maybe the peak Jewish thing we can be doing. Hello and welcome to the first and maybe only episode of the Kvetch Fest. I'm Harriet Cutler, and in a bit you'll be hearing the voice of my friend Joni Gore. We are two Jews who met at summer camp and have started to untangle our Zionism from our Judaism together. In this moment of great uncertainty and devastation, we felt it was important to do what Jews know how to do best, have difficult conversations, ask a lot of questions, and kvetch about it. We are by no means experts on Judaism and Zionism, just two anti-Zionist Jews trying to figure things out together. However you feel about Zionism or Judaism, we hope that you can listen to this episode with open minds and open ears. And if it brings up something for you and raises more questions than answers, good, let's talk about it. All right, let's kvetch. we can introduce ourselves and like how we know each other if you want to go ahead and get started. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm Harriet. Um, sometimes I go by Harry. Depends. My pronouns are she or they. I, yeah. So I grew up here in San Francisco, part of like a Jewish and like queer family. I went to Portland for a little bit, came back here for nursing school, and now I'm working on becoming a nurse practitioner. And yeah, I'll let you introduce yourself and then we can talk about how we knew each other. Does that sound good? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so I'm Joni Gore. My pronouns are she, her. And I was also raised Jewish. Um, I went to a Jewish elementary school from first grade until eighth grade. I was bought mitzvahed. Um, and then in college, I was really active in my Jewish community. And then I, I even did birthright when I was in college. And I feel like I... I'm, I'm proudly Jewish, but I have had to separate from some people in the community because we differ when it comes to Israel in particular. So with what had been happening, what we're seeing happening in Gaza, both both of us started posting online about how we felt, especially as anti-Zionist Jews, to be sort of a voice for questioning what is happening and to speak up for Palestinians. You know, we, we were texting each other back and forth and we were like, you know what, we just need to have a conversation and record it so that other people can see this. But we know each other back from Camp Tawanga, which is a Jewish camp. The like offices are based in the Bay Area and the camp is like just outside of Yosemite. Um, but we were, we I think we were like really good friends back then. Um, and literally like within the past week, we just reconnected and wanted to share our conversation. Yes. Yeah. Camp Tawanga was, yeah, like the Jewish camp to be at. And yeah, we were, we were little friends when we were like six or seven there. Yeah. Not like 
a huge part of what I love about being Jewish is just like that community and like having that community. And no matter where you are in the world, there is this like understanding of like, oh yeah, like we got our bat mitzvahs. Like we, we are part of the same community. So really excited to like have a conversation in this setting too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like that leads me into a good, the question. The first question is like, yeah. what is Judaism and what does Judaism mean to you? And you kind of spoke already to the like idea of community as a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, Judaism is a culture. Um, I think that I didn't really connect with the religious side of it as much growing up. Um, but more in the sense of like being a part of a group of people that are loud and we ask questions and we argue. Um, I went to a reconstructionist uh, temple growing up. The whole thing about this temple was that we didn't actually have an, a physical home. So we were always in shared spaces. So I, you know, would have like Sunday school in like the Lutheran church. Um, and we'd have our high holiday services at like this mega church in downtown San Francisco. I don't remember what it's called, but it was really fun. I mean, thinking about it now, I think I was raised with this knowledge that like Jews are people of the diaspora and like we don't have one physical space. Um, when I was a kid, I was like jealous of my friends who went to like Temple Emmanuel and like they had this like big temple and like temples are awesome. And they're beautiful spaces. Yeah. Beautiful spaces to be in. And I think the cool thing about Judaism to me is that you don't need a space or you don't need a like particular place in order to um, find community with other Jews, which I think specifically in this conversation feels important to me because also absolutely, um, I went back to High Holidays this recent, like for the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur of it all. Um, and the rabbi was talking about spending 40 years in the desert, right? As we know, famously, that happened. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I haven't read Hebrew since my bat mitzvah, so what else? I need follow-ups about that. But you're like, you know, going around, and there was something, something that she said that really stuck with me is like there was something sacred about like setting up your tent somewhere and like having that be a place, that temporary spot, and then like moving on. And so I think, hmm. that, to me, Judaism is about like resilience through movement it's funny that you said set up a tent because like i just completed the pacific crest trail where like i was living out of my backpack and i would set up my tent in you know a different place there would be like you know 20 30 miles away from each other but it was the tent that was my home it wasn't it didn't matter where it was it was just like you know i could make my space wherever i could i could still have a home even if it was moving. And when I was on the trail coming into South Lake Tahoe on Rosh Hashanah, and mm -hmm. I was like, I, I wasn't planning on doing anything, but I ended up going to the local shul and they like welcomed me in and they, they fed me like so, so much food. It was amazing. They, you know, people even welcomed me into their homes. And these were people that I had never met, but just because I was Jewish, I was a part of this community. Yes, I had the similar experience of it wasn't until I moved away from home and like wasn't just automatically in a Jewish community until I'm like homesick. And so the place I went to was like shul, you know, one Shabbat night in Portland and it just felt like home. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things about Judaism is it doesn't matter where you are, you can find that community. Yeah. In having this conversation, I was like, 
okay, well, I know what I feel Judaism is, but like, what is like Judaism? Like, what what's the definition of it? And I got, I, I think it was from Harvard University. They define Judaism. Well, so Judaism is a spiritual, cultural, ethnic religion. It, it is a culture. If it is an ethnicity, like it is in our genes. I mean, we have to get tested for specific diseases because we're more prone to it. But the Harvard definition was like the, there are sort of three pillars to Judaism, which is God, the Torah, and then Israel, the people. And I feel like that distinction is really, really important to make because the word Israel in modern day context means this place. It means this location. But what I am seeing and what I like, oh, I referred to, I am like rereading my Sidor, which is my prayer book. And it never refers to Israel as a place. It never refers. It's always a people. Yes. And it, okay, I will note that it all, it does mention house of Israel with which to me means like a synagogue, like a place where the people are gathering. Yeah. And it does mention Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a city, but it is a city that has been important to multiple religions. It's yeah. not we don't have ownership over Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. I I think that that distinction is so key. And actually, like right before we started this call, I, my mind was blown because we were talking about this. <laughs> I, think that, I think that what's so difficult about this moment and about like this untangling of Zionism from Judaism is the fact that an ethno state has been created Mm-hmm. And it's called Israel. Yes. yes. Israel doesn't mean it isn't a land. Israel is a people. And so yes. I've seen people who whose politics I 100% am with. We are leftists. We are Jews. And I see them defending this egregious, all of these egregious acts that a nation is doing. And they're defending it unquestioningly because it shares their name. And so I think that I used to, I mean, I still have to check my own like nervous system when I hear somebody say like, screw Israel, because we grew up thinking like Israel, Judaism, same thing. One and the same. They're the same. It's the same word. But the insidious thing that I think is very much intentional that the state of Israel has done is by naming a state after a group of people and not just any group of people, but a group of people who have been historically oppressed and marginalized. I think that the more that we as Jews can like make that distinction of like, oh, we're calling out like a nation state. We are not calling out this like group of people. The more we can like separate the two, the more we can identify when something is actually anti-Semitic versus when something is actually standing up for human rights. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and and it's 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 so insidious how deeply and interconnected they are and I've seen like a lot of rhetoric on social media that's that talks about that insidiousness that you have to you have to deconstruct that in order to stand up for human rights. That's how that's how deeply ingrained like Judaism is in Zionism. Yes. Yeah. And 
that is, that's horrific. I feel as an anti-Zionist Jew and as somebody who just speaks up for human rights, that it is my job to help people separate those two. 100%. Yes. Because ultimately the state of Israel, you know, like I feel like Israel as a state is harming everybody. Like it's not just Yes. Occupying a land that's not yours is always going to hurt people. You know, it's always going. And we see like more Jewish people have died in Israel than anywhere else in the world. And so like, it's (laughs) not like, there's this whole argument that it's like the place where Jews are the safest. And like, I don't think that I don't think so. And if you look up, you know, in the dictionary, like Palestine, which like, you know, the Merriam Webster dictionary, we can discuss. um, In the dictionary, it says Palestine is this specific land. And so when we say free Palestine, we're talking about like freeing a land from occupation. Palestine wasn't a place where it was only people who are Muslim and only people who are Christian. It was, there were Muslims, there were um, people who are Christian and Jewish living there. And we're not objecting or erasing their presence by saying that like Israel is a settler colonial state. We're just saying that Israel itself is a settler colonial state. We're not erasing the fact that the Jews have been there forever too, but so have everybody else. And they've all coexisted. Yes, yes. And I, I feel like the argument that I continue to see from people who are Zionists is like, well, our ancestors were there and how can we colonize a place where our ancestors are from? And I'm like, you can still do it. You can still go to, you can like, uh, there can be a mass movement of people to a location where they kick people who are currently living on the land out of their homes in order to occupy their land. That yeah. it, it is still possible. It is still possible. And, and, it's, and ab- it's not an excuse. And it's not an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. I think that the idea that we are safest in some kind of nation state is total bullshit. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. see how nation states like create so much violence, like colonialism, you know, we can all, I think apartheid. people can agree colonialism, apartheid, like objectively just bad for people, right. Bad for everybody right. in that situation. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I, I do see that. I think that that's where a lot of the Zionist Jews in my life or people who aren't even like, they wouldn't even call themselves Zionist Jews, but a lot of like the Jews in my life, the where they feel like tender and hurt is by hearing like, oh, they're colonizers. Oh, you know. And I think that what I wish I could communicate to them is like, nobody is invalidating that Jews were there as well. We're just saying that creating a nation state that is specifically for one group of people is colonization. <laughs> yes. Keep a lot of their homes is colonization. <laughs> yeah. And I recently just got this book, which is Decolonizing Israel and Liberating Palestine. And the author, you know, uh, had lived in Israel and has talked to Palestinians. And, and, and his take is that uh, uh, his take um, is that a two state solution is not possible. Um, particularly because the establishment of a Jewish-only state with this settler colonial mindset is that you must eradicate the dissenting areas in order for the entire state to become a ethno-state, 
to become for the entire place to become a place that is a safe harbor for Jews. And there's like this, um, well, I can show it later, but like there's a really great graphic that is like about the logic mm. of settler colonialism. And it it starts with this impetus, which is the necessity, which for Jews was the Holocaust. You know, we like we needed a place to go. And then you have the settlement, which is the invasion of a place where people already live. Yes. Um, and it's built off of foundational violence, which, you know, has been sort of a cyclical uh, uh, issue because it started with the Nakba in 1948 and has been a continuous cycle of violence against Palestinian people. And then it's this continued, you know, management and dominance in order for the land to triumph over the land. and. Yeah. That I think that's what we're seeing today is we're seeing this final dominance. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's truly wild to see how it keeps escalating and escalating to the point where it's like we, we are just seeing things that like the prime minister is saying, the things that the Israeli, you know, defense force people are saying, like it's maybe the most extremist language I've ever seen against a specific group of people that is like directly just defending and inciting the worst violence ever. It just, it truly is wild to me how divided these Jewish spaces are about this issue that to me is like not... Not a question. It's not, yeah, exactly. And it's not complicated. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not, I I think we just said that at the same time. Yeah, it's not complicated. And that's what I grew up with. It's complicated, both sides, you know, and I think that the way that we have that narrative, I think that on the spectrum of dehumanization, the like, oh, both sides are bad is like maybe on the lower end of that. But like, we can see the language literally dehumanizing an entire group of people to they justify- They call them human animals. Literally. Yeah. yeah. We're witnessing an ethnic cleansing and we're witnessing it in the name of Jews so that we can have a s- ethno state. And it's breaking my heart. It's yeah. really sad. Yeah. While I am not responsible for the government- it is my responsibility to speak up. And as a Jew, I I know it is my responsibility to speak up when I see injustice, violation of human rights, dehumanization, and a genocide happening. And I'm watching it happen in the palm of my hand. Yes. Yes. That is also so central to my Judaism is just standing up in the face of oppression. And I think that that is something I've looked to in other movements of as a space where I can go and be with others who agree that oppression is wrong and, you know, be like a resounding cry against it. Cause so much of Judaism is about questioning authority. Like we, we grow up learning these stories where, you know, I don't, I can't remember all of them, but you know, I mean, the the, like basics of every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Yes. Yes. That's, oh my God. Yeah. That is like, we say that all the time. My family. Exactly. Yeah. I think, this is another area where people are stuck is I think that we're used to being the victims in history. Like we are used to being the ones who they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. We're used to being the Davids and not the Goliaths. Is that a Bible thing? Yeah. 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 (laughs) But yeah, we're used to being those people. 
And so I think that it's really hard for people to see when like, oh no, we are not like, like in we this are in the wrong. We are in the wrong. We are yeah. not the victims. And the louder that we yell about being like victims, the less we're listening to the people that we're victimizing. And like, that's what's going on right now. It's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a classic manipulative tactic to be the one who like cries after like hurting somebody else. And then you have to take care of the the tears, you know? Yeah. There's a, a phenomenal um, clip. Uh, I want to pull out who the doctor is, but oh, um, I think, you know what I'm talking about, but it's like a, it's a professor who's both of his parents were in the Holocaust and he's yes. in some sort of meeting and somebody is talking about how, you know, uh, people are calling the Israeli government Nazis and she, and this girl is starts crying and he's like, I, I have no room for your crocodile tears because if you had learned anything from the Holocaust, it is that we cannot, we cannot act, under any circumstances cause harm like that onto another people and if you learned anything from the holocaust you would also be crying for the palestinians i I want to give him credit Um, he has been incredibly vocal about um speaking up for palestinians he lost his mother and his father were both in concentration camps and all of their families were exterminated and it is precisely because of what they went through that he speaks up on behalf of palestinians Yes. And I think those are the people in my life who give me so much strength too, is just seeing people who have been directly impacted by the Holocaust, by things like genocide that are ex- have experienced the most violent forms of anti-Semitism, who are saying that Israel is not the answer. <laughs> and they are anti-Zion yeah. Jews. And like that is to me the most exactly. thing you could be. <laughs> exactly. And, and like what I am like really grounding myself in. And when I'm like having these conversations, like I am bringing it back to what are, what are my Jewish morals? What are the morals that we are taught as Jews? And, and there's this like famous quote um, by a rabbinic sage who said like, don't do unto others what is hateful to you. That is the Torah and the rest is commentary. Mm. And in, in that commentary in like, you know, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you the difference between the Talmud and like other things. Yes. Um, but like, just to say that there are many books that are commentary on the Torah and in, and our Jewish morals come from that commentary. And I mean, the first one that I think of is Pikuach Nefesh, which is that sanctity of life is the most important thing. And that you can, you can disregard, you can disobey any other Jewish law when it comes to saving human life. Yes. Yes. I feel like that, that has been so grounding to read and to think about because I like, that's what Judaism is, right? It's like, you can't, there is no superiority. There is no authoritarianism. Like it is this belief that everybody's life is precious and sacred. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I like, I like that thought around, um, Pikua Nafesh. Is that how you say it? Or... Pikuach. Pikuach. Yeah. With a K. Pikuach Nafesh. Yeah. Pikuach Nafesh. Um, I feel like I, my, my Hebrew, I really lost it, but yeah. Um, but, but, and not being able to read Hebrew doesn't mean that you're any less Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think that that, um, yeah, I feel I, 
it just, it just speaks so much to me. And I, I think that is like one of the things about being Jewish too, is this like, just like arguing and like kind of looking at these details and asking like really difficult questions, not to have like a firm answer, but just to ask the question and to like, to think about it more and to go a little deeper. And so I think that is, again, like what is making me so sad about this situation is to see people just be like unquestioning and not thinking, you know, like thinking more about it because there's so much more to pick apart. And the more that I started, like, I think I, I use my Jewish mindset to approach Zionism by being like, what is this about? Why? You know, like, I yeah, it's very Jewish to ask like, but why though? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> and, and then as I did that, it like unraveled and unraveled this, like, you know, that there is no reason for this. <laughs> and I guess like going back a little bit is maybe we can help define what Zionism is. Yes. Um, yeah. And my, my understanding of Zionism is the movement. It, it is an ideology um, in the idea that there should be a Jewish um, ethnostate, that there should be a location where all Jews can exist. Um, and it was Theodor Herzl, who uh, was Hungarian, like myself, um, he wrote a document that was outlining this. Um, and I actually did take a look at it, and he suggested in the text that it either exists in Palestine or in Argentina. Wow. So this, this, you know, yeah. what we're looking at today, it could have ha- it could have happened elsewhere, but it happened in what he defined was Palestine. Right, right. And, and it, you know, there were movement, there was a lot of Jews that started moving into the into the area um, after the pogroms, which were like a series of uh, murder rampages against Jews specifically in Europe. And then it really snowballed after the Holocaust and, you know, after people were driven out of their homes and put into concentration camps and they had no place to go. But there was this, there was movement for, okay, well, let's take over this area. Let, let us live in this Holy land. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, is that your understanding of Zionism? Yeah, well? no, fully, yeah. fully. And I think what was um I was watching, you know, like I think there's a lot of really good videos about it. Um, mm-hmm. like 1948 is a really good one that everyone should watch. Um, I was watching a, a shorter one from Al Jazeera um reporting, and they were talking about just how Britain, like I think be- even before World War One, but like especially after World War One, they were like oh yeah, we love the idea of you going and like colonizing this place because that was like peak, you know, Britain colonizing. And I think that was the Balfour Declaration. Yes. There was like a document where Britain said, we agree that the Jews should have a place to go. And, And a lot of people are saying like, yeah, it was an excuse for the Western powers to allay their guilt for what happened to the Jewish people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that there just even before that, too, there was no buy-in from the Palestinian people ever for this. No. You know, like ever. No. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Zionism, there's so many different kinds of Zionists. Like Zionism is not Judaism. Like there are Christian Zionists, like there are some far right, there's a lot of far right Zionists. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. and what I think is really, really fascinating is that Christian Zionists 
um, support the state of Israel because it's supposed to bring the rapture, which to my understanding is when uh, all the dead Christians will rise and it will bring the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and it's not for the purpose of salvation of the Jewish people. It is a, it's a selfish desire for the Christians to come back is yeah. my, my understanding. Of it. I just, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think that in, in general, when I look at movements, I'm like, who is on this side of this like conversation and I'm like I don't want to be in company with like you know these no. like big powers like I want to be with the people who are resisting it and and right now I'm turning to you know the people that I saw speaking up during the BLM movements who yes. are um all for you know indigenous land sovereignty indigenous sovereignty and I'm looking to them and seeing what their reactions are and I and you know what's really interesting is that even the most liberals the most liberal people in my Jewish community, they supported BLM. They, you know, stand up for trans rights. But when it comes to Israel, even they struggle with it. And yes. I, and, and what's perverse about Zionism is that we don't, we didn't even realize how bad it was until this moment. And I know there are a lot of Jews who are unraveling it right now. And like you said, it's going to be something that's lifelong for us. That is what is so interesting about this moment is that people who I'm usually like a hundred percent aligned with. Oh yes. I'm yeah, yeah. And so that, yeah, I think is just feeling kind of this like gap forming and also just like watching people spread like alternate facts from the Israeli government and the US government like the media I, like i don't know i just don't have any friends who are far right like luckily i've been you know blessed to have family that i don't like disagree with on most things i think we mm -hmm. pretty much have like same morals um but then to have yeah I, I think that it's similar to maybe what a lot of people experience with friends who are far right and are only consuming like Fox news. Um, like they're learning about reality in a totally different way. And I think yeah. we're seeing that happen with this movement. I mean, it's become such a divisive issue that even people who I usually would not be afraid to talk about politics with and just like, you know, chat with about what is going on. I feel afraid to like bring it up because I'm, there's people in my life who I love and trust who I frankly, don't trust, with. agree with me right now. That is like the first time I've experienced that. And I think that that's why I'm glad we're talking. Like I feel like finding that community has been so crucial right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, one of my friends likened it to being a part of a church, like being, being queer and going to a church and finding out that they're homophobic. Like that's yeah. what we're going, what we're experiencing right now. But it, it's, and it's not like just homophobia. It's like that they are like not acknowledging that there's uh that there this is a human rights violation and a yes. genocide and ethnic cleansing right. and that's terrifying it is so scary even my therapist i was like who's jewish yeah <laughs> um, obviously oh um, thank goodness oh <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> Um, I, even her, I was like afraid to talk about it with her. You know what I mean? I was like, if I find out that my therapist is like for a two state solution, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, <laughs> I'll have to go on psychology today and find a new therapist. Find a new therapist. And that process takes forever. So. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, it sucks. It really, it, I think that that is, that is what feels so mind boggling about this moment is just feeling disconnected from people that like, I'm usually just 100% with. And then also like, yeah, I just, I feel lucky that most people in my life, um, agree right now that we need to like stop the bombing or like, you know, it's like stop the war, which like, okay, maybe you're not seeing it as a genocide or ethnic cleansing right now fine but you want to stop what's going on um and we can we're unpick- getting we're getting somewhere yeah and unravel yeah exactly yeah. we're you know like it's not the full picture like we need to do way more like absolutely so those people i'm like okay great we we have a starting point we have an entryway but then i'm also seeing people who are like Israel has a right to defend itself. We we shouldn't do a ceasefire. Like we could do a ceasefire, but then what we about need to rid out Hamas? Yeah, like things like that. Where I'm like, okay, so now we're actively justifying killing children, thousands of people and children. Like yeah. that is mind blowing to me that I would have to argue with. Like that's where. I do really want to have that kind of conversation with somebody of like, this is not okay. What you're advocating for is an ethnic cleansing. And what I am really struggling with is like, because this is such an insidious issue, because it is so hard to detangle is like, there are people who are, who have died, who are actively dying, who are fighting for, who, who, I don't even want to say they're fighting for their life. They're just trying to get through the day. They're just trying to continue to breathe and having to def- to open people's eyes to this who are still defending it. This isn't something that it's going to happen overnight. And I think so what I'm seeing and what I'm running into is that so many people are afraid of offending their Jewish friends and I'm like yeah, I'm going to offend my Jewish community too, because they haven't had the time to separate Zionism from Judaism. And I've already done that work and you've already done that work. And some of them are trying to get up to speed in the matter of hours for things that we have had years to process. And people are actively dying. And it, it how awful is it that we need to detangle this in order for someone to stand up for human rights. Yeah, no, I had a thought and I totally lost it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel I mean, like- also, I feel like my brain is like short circuiting because yeah. I'm like, how do I have to defend human rights to people? I know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that part, I've never had to have that conversation of like, oh, actually, like, killing people is wrong. <laughs> like, let's just start there. Can we start there? Yeah. I'm like, can we just not kill people? And I think that that is like, it, yeah, I think that's what's so sad about it is like, I'm seeing a lot of people being like, nobody cares about Jews. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Sorry. Um, (laughs) We care about Jews. Like, I guess, like, I don't want to speak for everybody, um, but everybody I'm aligned with and myself is, like, nobody is invalidating the grief that the families were experiencing on October 7th. Like, nobody is here to invalidate that. Saying we want a free Palestine doesn't mean that we are saying like what happened on October 7th was just and right. You know, we we all yeah. know all we're saying is that we need to look at a the bigger picture yes. and be yes, this is not like a response. This genocide is something that's been going on for years. Like it it hasn't looked like this, but 
Israel has been oppressing Palestinians for a very, 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 very long time. And maybe people who are so like, you know, Hamas, Hamas, Hamas should think about like, why did a group of people feel that they needed a resistance group? What are they resisting? Instead of looking at like, you know, they're the ones that are committing this evil. It's like, maybe they are resisting a bigger evil. A bigger evil. Yeah. That is backed by the United States government. Yes. Yes. And, and what I am really like trying to drive home is like, let's think about all of the social issues that we are facing in the United States. Like we don't have free healthcare. We uh, our infrastructure it needs so much work. Uh, the educational system is uh, like I don't even know where to begin with the education <laughs> system. We like people are in debt because of their student loans. Like people can't afford to live right now, yeah. and yet we can spend billions, billions of dollars aiding this. And so I I want and what I am seeing is like. It is imperative that Americans speak up about this and say, no, you are not going to use my tax dollars for this genocide. I don't even want to say war. It's a genocide. Yeah, exactly. And like when I keep picturing this, you know, this tiny strip of Gaza, which is at, at five miles by 25 miles, this strip is experiencing the power of the United States government and the Israeli government. And I mean, there, there are people who are saying that more bombs have been dropped in Gaza in the past 20, 18 days than have been, than were dropped in Afghanistan for an entire year. Yeah. 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 Think about that magnitude of casualty. I mean, there are, there are more like the death toll I just saw was over 5,000 people. Yeah. And the fact that I still need to separate Zionism from Judaism in order for people to see that this is wrong is so insidious. It is so dangerous. Yes, it's so, so dangerous. And I don't think that any other nation, like if we were watching this as American Jews and this this nation wasn't called Israel and this nation wasn't pretending to be our salvation, we would be 100% against it. You know, that is what's so wild is we have to pull this apart in order for people to see it. And then, yeah, also like all my, like, I love my friends. I love all my friends, my non-Jewish friends. It's like, we have to like, stop worrying about saying the wrong thing right now. Take a moment, just look at what's happening, observe and stand up, you know, like say something right now, because everybody is implicated in this. If you live in the U S and you pay taxes, you're implicated. Yeah. So I think that that is why this is so imperative to be having these conversations and to be untangling because if we don't do that now, you know, this is going to keep happening. One of the other things that like grounds me when I know that this is ethnic cleansing, this is genocide, is that they started bombing the West Bank. Mm -hmm. And there's no media coverage about bombing the West Bank. And for those who aren't familiar with like the lay of the land, so there is Gaza, you know, the the Palestinian lands that still exist that aren't occupied by Israel are the Gaza Strip, um, which 
is, you know, is, is run by Hamas, but we could get into a lot of details about what that means. Um, but people are really focused on the concept that Hamas's original charter um, included the eradication of Jews. Um, their more recent charter, which was in 2017, was focused on eradicating the Zionist problem. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. So that's Gaza. The West Bank is still a part of Palestine that is run by the Palestinian Liberation Organization or the PLO. It has nothing to do with Hamas. Why would they be bombing the West Bank? Exactly. If it wasn't ethnic cleansing. If, exactly. if, if it is to root out Hamas, Hamas does not exist in the West Bank. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that that are, tears away at the argument that this is all about Hamas. Like, I, I wish that it could be enough to know that, like, Israel cut off water and electricity, that they control water and electricity in Gaza. They bombed hospitals. They, you know, like, they have been killing Multiple. Yeah. Yeah, multiple. There I just read just this morning I was watching like watching a live video of a Palestinian journalist in Gaza who was talking about how they shut off electricity in a hospital. And like I'm a nurse, I'm a healthcare worker. Like you don't shut off electricity in a hospital. Like people are having procedures done. People are hooked up to machines, machines. that are yeah. life-saving. Like that is genocide. Like there is no way that you can say that that is targeting the terrorists. Like um, it's really hard to see this stuff and like back to back with other people who are saying like, nobody cares about Jews. And if you care about Palestine, you don't care about Jews. And it's like, they're, like that disconnect like is so harmful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember seeing something, I think maybe you shared it with me about like, you know, at, we stood up for you with all your like land back and BLM stuff, but you're not going to stand up for our land back movement. And it's like, no, no, we won't because it's not land back. It was colonialism. It was invading a place where people already lived Yes, and then claiming it as your own and, and using the, the word for the Jewish people to create your ethno state. Yes. And I've gone down into such a wormhole about this because I'm like, okay, what do our sea doors say? What do our what does the Torah say? And I literally pulled out my Humash, which is oh my like God, my yeah. copy of the Torah. Uh, it's in uh, Deuteronomy, so the last book, you know. Um, which oddly enough, I had like marked as like a kid. I had marked like all of this back when I was in like I don't know middle school. And it's the moment where Moses is like up on the mountain talking to God and God is telling him all of these rules and these laws. And in, let's see, Kitavo, which is like the chapter, Deuteronomy 27, line 17 is cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary marker. Mm, wow and then uh 19 is cursed is he who perverts justice for the foreigner orphan and widow and i feel like those two al al alone i mean yeah. you know i think a lot of people have taken the old testament and have people have spent thousands of years like translating it and and interpreting it and creating commentary but that's clear as day to me is that 
you don't move your neighbor's boundary marker. And that's what Zionism did. Yes. And as Jews, it is our responsibility. It is our moral obligation to right this wrong. And so, it, 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 unfortunately, it's starting with deconstructing the difference between Zionism and Judaism in order for people to stand up against what is what is genocide. Yeah, that line is so good. And it's really like disproving that this is a about religion. Like this is all never been about religion. Weed. This has always been about land stealing land and like that's yeah. what it is it's not about it's not jewish to steal land like that's yeah. like not jewish you know yeah and so that i think i think the more people can really ground in that like the more we can move forward with this shared understanding that this was never our land to begin with so you can't give land back to somebody this land doesn't belong to us um and, and yes, there were Jews there. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. But the way that it we came that, you know, the original settlers came into the land was oppressive and it was violent and it was colonialism. Like some conversations that I've been having with people who are who are Jewish are like, I just can't believe that we would be capable of genocide. And I'm like, yes. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, people and people are doing it in the name of Judaism, but that doesn't make them Jews. No, no, exactly. And and they're they're going against Judaism by doing this. Yeah. And that's why I frankly am more offended when people are saying things like if you're against Israel, you're anti-Semitic. Like I'm like that like you're erasing me and thousands of other anti-Zionist Jews who we don't said no. Any- like that is actually more anti-Semitic to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like we're because Israel isn't an ethno nation state. Like Israel is a people, and like the more we can like rip those two things apart, and I think just identifying that you know that that a word has been co-opted to mean something that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Just even recognize that. Sit with that for a minute, you yeah. know, and like think about it. Um, ask some Jewish ass questions about it, you know, because. Right then we can talk more. But I think that that is like, that's the first step is just like really untangling it. And it sucks that we have to do this part first. Um, Hopefully people can like, you know, wake, wake up yeah. uh, for this moment. And wake then up, hopefully- babe. Wake up, babe. We're committing yeah. genocide. Yeah, like, <laughs> wake up you yeah. know, like, it's time to wake up. I think what's so hard about it is like, I, it's been really hard to have these conversations online too because it's hard to like really get to people um without it being like a defensive thing like even just calling it a genocide i get thousands of texts or like not thousands i'm not that popular <laughs> enough, but, um, enough where you're like okay like i'm really i'm offending someone yeah like i have deeply offended somebody by literally just using the word genocide and so like what sucks about it is we do have to use this like kind of careful language in order to not ostracize people, but it's just because they have like used, I mean, I think that they have made words like free Palestine. The media has made that into this like divisive term when like really what it means is like give the land back um, to these people who originally 
habit, you know? And so I guess maybe that one is like a little harder for people to wrap their heads around, but cease fire, for example, like they've made cease fire into like some word meaning something that it's not so that people get mad about it. And it's like, no, cease fire just means stop. Pause. Pause. Can we just pause for one second and let humanitarian aid come through? And like there were trucks that came in, there were 20 trucks. And typically, my understanding is that hundreds of trucks come in to provide humanitarian aid. Yeah. Like, can we just pause? And and the uh, the whole thing that I see is like, well, Hamas is like the one who is like preventing us from, you know, uh, bringing these trucks in. No, the Israeli government is the one that is stopping these trucks from coming in because they are going under the ruse that they need to check everything to make sure that they are not providing anything to Hamas. So they are, I mean, like they didn't, when they brought in the first couple of trucks, they didn't bring in fuel because they, it was under the premise that they don't want fuel to go to Hamas. And I'm like, okay, can we bring in food? Can we bring in water? Can we bring in medical supplies? Yeah. At the very least. At the the very very least. Minimum. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that they're bombing like bakeries and places where they make food, like it's that tell you something. Yeah. Like it's so intentionally and obviously like not about like killing terrorists. Like this is about wiping an entire group of people off of the the face of the earth. And like, if anybody knows that feeling to their bones, that this is wrong, like it's going to be as Jews because we know we know how to we know how to look to see a genocide yeah yeah and call it what it is i'm thinking about ways that and and particularly because you know the conflation of zionism and judaism is like they're so deeply entangled that so many people are going to be spending the rest of their lives doing this kind of work there are still things that people who are Jewish who are Jewish who are trying to untangle this and people who are not Jewish who just know that this is wrong and that they need to do something that there are still things that they can do without getting into those conversations um one of the things is like calling call call your representatives for a ceasefire um you know there's all these links for um that will like direct you to each of your offices. But I've been like going to, I've been like looking up my representative, finding their contact me office. And then I am speaking with somebody and saying like, Hey, uh, this is wrong. You need a call for a ceasefire. Um, Like what, what uh, there's also the boycott movement um, to boycott McDonald's, Starbucks, and Disney Plus, because all of them have supported Israel or have products that are created in the Israeli settlements in the West Bank. I'm curious, yeah, what else do you know about like what people can do? Yeah, there's actually like so many organizations that support Israel that we can boycott too. I think there was somebody who posted, um, somebody who like grew up in or like went to Israel, Zionist, um, you know, similar to us, like unraveled that and was saying that one of the um, loudest languages that Israel and the US and the UK speak is just money. So by not spending our money on any Israeli products, 
um, or any company that supports um, Israel in any way. That is a really like straightforward thing you can do. There's a lot of lists online. Something else is following Palestinian journalists because the algorithm, um, there's like, oh my God, I forget what it's called, but there's some, do you know what this is? The, um, there's something in Google that like makes it like the algorithm hide um, Palestinian voices when you go on Google. Like I, somebody sent me this document Hmm. um, about like ways that you can support Palestine and Gmail. And it was like sent to my spam folder um, immediately by Gmail, even though like this is somebody I know and is in my contacts. So by supporting Palestinian journalists and like following them, um, you are changing the algorithm (laughs) if you can. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And just say something. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Like I have so much Instagram social anxiety and posting is hard and it can be scary, especially when there's a lot of loud voices, but just know that like, just say the wrong thing and that's okay. Like as long as you're saying something and you're speaking from heart, I think that that's a really uh, straightforward way that you can also support. Totally. And, and the way that I am framing it is like, Okay, if I offend someone who is still who may be conflating these ideas or who's taking this really personally, I have time to have conversations with them later. We have that luxury. Palestinians don't. And you need to say something now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something needs to be said now or yesterday. And if you're not into social media activism at all, like there's tons of other ways to get involved, like like you said, calling your reps, going to movements, going to protests. There's so much call for donations, for aid. Um, And if you're Jewish like us and like in a community with people who disagree with you who are Zionists, like start a conversation. Like that's what we're doing, you know, just have a conversation, even if it doesn't, you know, even if they disagree with you, like we're Jews, we argue, you know, like argue yeah. with somebody, yeah, <laughs> you know, in a Jewish way, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like have that conversation. Cause even if they don't agree with you 100% right away, you're planting a seed in their mind and they can go back to you and be like, Oh, like, can you tell me more about that? Exactly. I don't want to be like, Oh, like we're brainwashing people to be anti-Zionist, but we're like, no, we've been brainwashed to yes. believe this. I mean, birthright in particular was like very brainwashy. It was like felt like it was supposed to be a party. It was entirely manicured. And I'm very thankful that the people that I did birthright with and that the people that were leading the program, like the people I was with, we questioned a lot of what we were being shown. And the people who were leading it, they... I think that they supported Palestinians. They happen to live in Israel. They happen to be Israeli. But I think that they were, you know, trying to help us deprogram like what birthright was trying to tell us and what the Israeli government and Zionism like at its core is trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I feel like not a lot of birthrights are like that. I didn't go on my birthright I like luckily started listening to democracy now I can't go there um but I got a lot of like texts from the people and I was like why don't you give my spot to a Palestinian because that's where there they're is from. yeah exactly <laughs> I'm just a random American Jew like why why does birthright exist if you're somebody who like 
is of the birthright age, like consider pushing back to your birthright recruiter, you know? And like, think about it. Like you're not from this place. Like this land doesn't belong to you. And then there's also like really great orgs too, like anti-Zionist orgs, like if not now, JVP, Mm -hmm. Uh, going to Shabbats with other anti-Zionist Jews, like even if you don't identify yet as an anti-Zionist Jew, if you just want to go to a Shabbat. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm like, if you want to join a cult, but like, (laughs) but like, yeah, seriously, like Shabbat, you know, what could be better? Like we, it's a resistance to capitalism, right? It's like this moment of like, we're going to get quiet and like not spend our money and not move. And we're going to reflect, like maybe go to a Jewish voice for peace Shabbat or um, if not now Shabbat and like just, connect with other people and listen. I I think that there are so many loud voices right now um, who are, you know, for a free Palestine and who are like, what I'm seeing is a lot of Jews who are really vocal about how calling out the Israeli government is anti-Semitic and like nobody wins when everybody shouts. Right. And a lot, a lot of people need to listen. And I'm not, I'm usually one who listens and I like, it is really uncomfortable for me to talk this openly about it, but I know it's what's right. And like, I want people, especially on my like social media page to see this conversation. I would, I would usually never have this conversation, but I, I know that I'm qualified to have this. Yes. And like, I think a lot of people, um, should be able to hear this conversation and and part and listening is a huge part of what people can do right now. Yes, listening is it's so huge and ultimately like we grow up, you know, we were born in a settler colonial state too, you know, yeah. we were born in the US. We grow up with all of this unconscious bias, you know, we like grew up with internalizing systems of oppression, like you know, we've had to unlearn racism we've had to unlearn um homophobia like all of these things because it's just like the culture we live in it's the water we drink it's the air we breathe right and so mm-hmm. for my fellow you know Jews out there who are still identifying with Zionism like maybe just consider for a moment that it's some unconscious bias that you do have to actively like unlearn Um, And maybe unlearn feels like too much right now, but maybe just like take a moment to notice it. Like notice you flinch when somebody says, screw Israel, free Palestine. And like, think about it. Like, think about why you're flinching. Think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Just start there. You don't have to like become an anti-Zionist Jew overnight, but just know that like Zionism, like other forms of internalized um, biases is something that we were just like programmed into us. And so to unprogram it, it's going to take a long time, but we can do it and we can do it together. And it's really joyful to do it. Yeah. And, and, and we need to, we, we need to do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I remembered that the person who had made that comment about what happened to his family oh, uh, yes. uh, was Dr. Norman Finkelstein. Okay, cool. If we, if we post this, we can link. Yeah. Um, Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. Should we stop recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to stop recording. Okay, cool. This is great. Thank you for listening to the first and maybe only episode of the Kvetch Fest. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, if you have something that you want to Kvetch about, 
or just any general feedback, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at kvetchers at proton.me. That's K-V-E-T-C-H-E-R-S at proton.me. And if you couldn't understand what those letters were, we will also post a link in the bio.